0: You're listening to. Whoa! Hot luck!
1: And you're listening to Books on Global, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. I'm Marvin Ye.
0: And I'm Ri Rayu.
1: And for this episode, we have a very special interview with author C.B. Lee, um, who you may remember was the author of our June book club pick, Not Your Sidekick.
0: Yeah, we wanted her on the podcast for over a year, and (laughs) we finally got her. Hooray.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, reading her book was the perfect excuse to invite her to the podcast. Um, But yeah, we had a great talk with her about her experiences writing the book, um, the superhero genre, science fiction, fantasy, and all sorts of uh, good conversation. But before we get to her interview, um, a quick reminder that the book club pick for July is...
0: A Tale for the Time Being by Ruth Ozeki.
1: So I uh, hope you all are making some good progress in that book. Crack um, it open. Yeah, we'll talk about it later this month. Uh, but yeah, without further ado, here is our interview with C.B. Lee. And we're here with author C.B. Lee here at the Potluck Podcast Studios. Ooh, um, welcome. Yay. hey. Hi.
0: You're the first author that we've had in this studio, by the way. I feel very honored. Thank
2: you so much (laughs) for having me. This is a very cool studio. I like it a lot.
1: CB Lee is um, the author of our June book club pick, Not Your Sidekick, that we just uh, finished reading for the month. And it's been a while since we had an author interview yeah. Especially in person. I don't think we've ever had one in person. No, I just we?
0: I just said that she was the first one we've had in the studio because everything has been like over the phone yeah. or Skype. We actually, when we interviewed uh, Sarah Kuhn, who's mm-hmm. also from LA, she's mm-hmm. from the West Side. Yeah. So like it was by phone because we're like, we're not like, there's no way. <laughs> there's no it's way. a track to get out there.
1: Yeah, that was before I mean. we actually had actual studio too. That's so now true. now we have a like a central meeting point so you can probably mm-hmm. invite more people.
2: Compromise.
1: Um but welcome.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Yeah. Do you want to start us off? Real? Oh, okay.
0: I guess I will <laughs> I will start us off. So I'm going to start off with a question that most of us get from white people. Where are you from? <laughs> uh, LA. LA. Uh, yeah, I was born here. So um
2: yeah, specifically Los Angeles. It's weird. I, I mean, I grew up here and I feel like I've, you know, even though I've lived in other places, I've always come back. But then, you know, the, like the what, you know, the question a white person would be asking is like, where, no, where are you from? Really? Where are you from? <laughs> like, um, my parents are from Vietnam and China. And so they immigrated here in 79. Mm-hmm. And then met each other. In, well, they knew of each other because they were both They both lived in the same village in Vietnam, so they were like. I I don't remember if they were friends. I think they like, they were. They knew who they were, but they weren't like super close friends. But then after they both like, after the refugee camps and the war, and they were both in California, and through like you know like the Asian auntie network, (laughs) letters, they were like, hey, guess who else lives in Los Angeles? Like my mom, like got this letter or something or phone (laughs) call. It was like, hey, this random boy from your village lives in L.A. You should. Say hi, and so I guess they just hung out, started hanging out, and going. And they actually like dated, which was funny. Wow! I have like pictures of them in the seventies, like actually going on (laughs) dates.
1: (laughs) Um, As a fellow Southern California, Los Angeles person, I would ask you, where in Los Angeles are you from?
2: I grew up in Rosemead, okay, in the San Gabriel Valley. San Gabriel, yes, we're like neighbors. Yeah, (laughs) went to San Gabriel High School.
1: Oh, that's my Gabrielino. Oh. My... oh. We sh- we should be rivals. <laughs> we don't play each other in sports at all. So, like,
2: it is uh... we are rivals though. Like
0: in debate, we are.
1: In de- Oh yeah. In yeah. Well, like the whole wow. entire state is rivals with us in debate.
0: Well, we were first. <laughs> <laughs> so, were you always a a writer or um was writing something you stumbled into much later in in, in your life? Um,
2: I feel like the answer to that question is like kind of both because that's- I mean, I always have been a writer. Like, I love telling stories, and, you know, I always, like, was writing funny, like, stories in my journals, but I never thought, I, you know, I never thought of it seriously as a career, especially, like, with my, like, parents and family expectations. Um, I went to college, and, you know, I actually was interested in a lot of things. So I ended up um, studying um, environmental science and Ooh, geology. Cool. So <laughs> I really wanted to, like, save the world. <laughs> like and like be a climate scientist or like study like work for NASA. I had all these dreams and aspirations and then I got into the academic field and it I didn't like it that much. <laughs> um, I mean it was it was still fascinating, but I, I couldn't see myself um, you know, like teaching at that very high academic level or, mm. you know, doing like it didn't different type of writing yeah yeah yeah. it it was very like I was doing I just remember like in grad school I was doing a lot of statistical analysis and like um, and writing like academic papers and just not getting to be creative at all with it so I mean there was there is an aspect of creativity but it was also you know there was a combination of a lot of things where I I was just um, you know I wanted a career change so I you know I moved back to L.A. Um, I worked in a non profit sector for a while and um and then I kind of came back to writing with um, well i 've always been like active in like fandom too like writing fan fiction and really enjoying like the fan communities um but then it was in say twenty fourteen yes twenty fourteen <laughs> when um When I saw um, a call for submissions, so there was a contest, well, not a contest, it was a contest, but um, Interlude Press, who's my publishing house now, they had just launched their young adult imprint, Duet Books, and they had put out a call for submissions for the anthology Summer Love, and they were interested in basically if anybody was writing an LGBTQ protagonist that... Had um, that fit with the theme of summer love, and then you know there's, a sh- it's a short story, so it can be fifteen thousand words or so, and that well, pretty much that was the word limit for the mm-hmm. submission guidelines, and I was like, you know, I was working a few various jobs, I was teaching, and I was like, oh, why not? Like, I you know I love telling stories, I could write a story, so I wrote, um, I wrote. Uh, short. I'm. I'm doing quotation. I don't know why I'm. T-
1: <laughs> well, now that you I'm, said it, yeah, people yeah, will know, yeah. right? I'm, so I'm
2: doing quotation marks when I say the word short. <laughs> um, I wrote a short story at, about like um, a Chinese American boy who meets another boy who turns out to be a selkie, which is a shape shifting seal. For those of you who don't know
0: that mythology, I know my mythology. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> um, so it was. Just, it's
2: just like a sweet, fun, like fantasy set on the beach and. Um, I had a lot of ideas on what I wanted to do with it but then I really wanted to submit it at, for this particular thing so um, I, I cut a lot of it and then I submitted it and then like a few months later I heard back and they were like we love it we would love for you to be a part of it let's start talking contracts and editors and all this stuff and then um, when I first met with my editor she kind of we kind of sat down and talked and she was like okay I have a question if there was not like a word limit where would you have seen the story go? And I was like, well, I really wanted to expand like the romance and there's more conflict and then there's more like family stuff and there's Mm -hmm. more stuff like it really. And, you know, in talking with her, she was like, well, we love that too. We really think um, it would be a great standalone. So they pulled me out of the anthology and then, um, sorry, um, worked with me to develop uh, that as a novel. And then so that became my first novel, which is Seven Tears at High Tide. Ah. And so it was, it's kind of been a roundabout journey it's, you know, I've always been a writer, but didn't think of it seriously for myself. But now that I wrote, you know, that was my first book. And then after that, I had another idea, which was would become the Sidekick Squad series. And then when that started taking off, it really became more and more feasible to me, like, like to see it as a career. And I want it to be my career. I, I want to tell stories and be able to share stories and yeah. continue to create these characters and worlds.
0: I feel like I feel like uh the writing career is it's not linear at all because <laughs> yeah. like we talk to authors who are like oh I went to law school and mm-hmm. I studied law and then like they end up <laughs> being writers because they're like I can't do this for the rest of my life mm-hmm. and it's it's a very long roundabout journey to become a writer. So I want to ask you uh what drew you to the superhero genre? Cuz it's a great genre to uh tell stories about like coming of age, mm-hmm. uh teens and also uh exp- exploration of identities. Mm-hmm. So what- I
1: especially love that um in the psychic series, the superhero like the power expression part uh-huh. of it is kind of in place of like parental like um expectations yes. of yeah. their children and yeah. their potential and i was like i was reading like oh this is totally like I, my asian like <laughs> soul is like vibing with this very much
2: yeah it's it's <laughs> interesting because i feel like with pa- like superpowers it's a great m- medium to explore so many things like how do you feel about yourself how, your your abilities whether or not you have powers you know whether or not your powers come from is it like a family thing is it um is it like what how do you define strength like how do you define success and what drew a lot like i I've, I've loved comics for a really long time i really love superheroes and um one of my favorites growing up was the x men and i you know the x men is has always been written as like being a mutant is a metaphor for queerness basically and and you know there's all these stand-ins for like racism and there's stand-ins for homophobia and like i liked I identified a lot with the characters in X-Men and just how, like, you know, because we're talking about, like, how does society see you and how do they perceive you just because of this, you know, the way, you know, the way you are, the way you were born. Um, But I wanted, I didn't want it to be a metaphor in my work. Mm -hmm. So I wanted, you know, I just thought about, like, well, what if I wrote, like, superheroes that actually were queer? And Mm -hmm. um, that kind of was part of this story from the get-go where I wanted to write a queer superhero story and um, kind of the expectations and the, the powers in that way, when you were talking about Jess's parents, that actually folded into the story as, as I was developing her character. Cause the very first scene I imagined for Jess, um, wh- when I was visualizing the story was a girl trying really, really hard to fly and failing. So she mm-hmm. can't fly and, and her dad can fly. Her mm-hmm. mom has super strength. And this is kind of like, it, it really comes back to me, me, feeling like my parents sacrificed so much for me to be here. And, they, you know, they, they tell me all the time, but mm-hmm. they're also like, you know, I like fought off pirates and I was <laughs> like on a boat for this many days. And the boat was only this big. And, and you know, it, I understand it was it was really a hardship and also like a huge sacrifice. And I do see my parents as like superheroes. You know, mm-hmm. they they've accomplished so much and they've um, they've worked really hard to get um, their family a chance at a different life and that kind of plays into like, you know, my own insecurities about like, well, am i doing my best to be the best person i can be? Am i doing fulfilling their expectations? What about my, what are my expectations? So i had really high standards for myself growing mm-hmm. up. Like, you know, like asian parents, you know, they want you to be very successful and usually that ter- tends to mean certain things like you be a doctor, be a lawyer, be a pharmacist, whatever, like. Yeah. But in we kind of came to an understanding I think also because of like cultural differences and also like communications where it's to me what's important was like being able to have a career that was that I felt fulfilled in and um, being creative being able to share my stories with others that was that's been really important to me and it's it's been an interesting journey with my own parents because they, they were like, oh, writing's a hobby. You're you're do, still doing that. That's cool. But you're also like, you're going to get a real job someday. I mean, it's what, not What is late. a real job nowadays? <laughs> no such thing. I mean, everything is real. Like, there's yeah, no, yeah. there's no, like, people always, like, in high school, be like, oh, when you're out there in the real world, things are going to be different. I'm like, <laughs> no. <laughs> like, this is, re- everything is real. Like, there's no, like, fake world. I mean, there's, it's, it's just a matter of, like, what do you see and what your expectations are, I guess. So super ho- Superpowers was a fun way to play with that kind of dynamic because um, in in the Sidekick Squad world, um, even though it's set, like, in the near future and, and the country's borders are t- entirely different and the country itself is very different, there still are, there still are um, cultures and there still are immigrant cultures. And so mm-hmm. Jess is is kind of that she has that first-generation feel. She's, you know, living in a, like, desert town. Her parents are from um, the Southeast Asian Alliance, and, like, um, she has that diaspora of, like, feeling like she's not quite one culture or another. Yeah, I love that.
1: Um, I don't want to talk about the post-apocalyptic setting <laughs> sure. of the Psychic series, because um, it was very fleshed out, and I was able to, you know, you are able to piece together the history and how, like... Part of the reason that the book was really, like, I really love the book is because, like, the story is about, like, even in the future, Mm -hmm. like, people with power will, like, F with people without power. Mm -hmm. And even though your story is set in, like, what, like, hundreds of years?
2: Yeah, like, 21, the year 21, (laughs) well, oh, my gosh, I I have a timeline on the Excel sheet already. But 2128 is when... The um the the huge X twenty nine flare. Yeah. that's just my the name of the cataclysmic event yeah. that started all these other cataclysmic events, and then and then World War three, yeah. and then a bunch of stuff, and then.
1: But we're still dealing with like just Tran, Your main character is a second generation mm-hmm. um, daughter of an immigrant family mm-hmm. from Southeast Asia, which mm-hmm. is stuff we see today. Yeah, absolutely.
2: You know? it, it, that, I I. Wanted to include that because, especially in science fiction and fantasy, where you have all these fantastic things happening, I want to be able to see characters like myself. And, you know, it's it's part of our reality. Like, if we don't, if we can't see ourselves in the future, then how do we feel about ourselves in the present? You know, like, it was so affirming for me to see, like, oh, in Star Trek, oh, my gosh, <laughs> Michelle Yeoh is captain. And, like, to see Kelly Marie Tran in Star Wars and just... um you know, just in, into the Badlands and just more, yeah. m- like, I love contemporary, I love historical, but, like, genre fiction has always been really close to my heart just because it's got that, like, fantastic element. Yeah. And for, like, a huge nerd like me, I, like, you know, re- growing up reading books, you know, the f- the first kind of books I read were, like, Amy Tan and, like, Lawrence Yep, <laughs> and those were a lot of fun. I liked them, and I really loved, like, learning about the history, but... I also wanted like Star Wars
0: basically. (laughs) I mean who wouldn't? I'm like fantasy has been dominated by like white male authors for a really long time Mm -hmm. and you know people are like well I can like I can't picture Asian or black aliens. (laughs) And it's just
1: like you can picture
0: you can picture dragons, (laughs) but you can't picture people of color in space.
1: People of color are orcs and elves.
0: This always pops up in our episodes. <laughs> we always bring up Lord of the um, Rings. Um, well,
1: uh, I was want to ask you about just creating that post-apocalyptic sure. world. You said you have a timeline. Like, what's how was that process like uh, to figure out how our world is going to end and change and be reborn?
2: Mm-hmm. It was actually a lot of fun to come up with because um, I really kind of I wanted the world to be my own, and I wanted it not to look too similar to ours, but I wanted things to be recognizable from it. Like, you know, Jess loves like vintage weird stuff like <laughs> DVDs. Um yeah. and um but there's also like futuristic elements like everyone use like there's like holograms everywhere and everyone's communication is all streamlined where like you everyone where has like a data exchange device, which is basically your phone, your wallet, your ID, and it's all like on your wrist. And it's, you know, it's you can project holograms on it. And, you know, I wanted to play with that fun um, sci fi element. And then with the post apocalyptic world, I I love the genre because it's so cool to explore how things fall apart, how things get put together. And a lot of the things I've seen within the genre, particularly within like dystopian fiction and post apocalyptic fiction, is that there's a lot of focus on the struggle like mm. right after right during the disaster like how do people deal with it who's eating each other like what are the right like riots and people fighting and like sort of like a walking dead type scenario right. so there's then that's very interesting but i wanted to explore something where you get to see how has society rebuilt from that and how has it come together in an entirely new way like um The people in the North American collective, which is the name of um, Jess's country, which is basically an amalgam of like the entire North American Mm -hmm. continent, except it's the population is drastically lower than what you would expect of like Canada, the United States, and Mexico Mm -hmm. because of, you know, the population has gone down a lot because of all these disasters and events. But it is very different, but also similar. Because you get those like human struggles. But you get it you also get to play with like, oh, there's this weird thing in the middle of the desert, we don't know what it is. It's actually like a shell of an old car, but you know yeah. and it's it's fun to play with those elements um
0: yeah i like really appreciated how this was a stress-free dystopian (laughs) novel because i like i i love like dystopian fantasy but i Mm -hmm. get so stressed out Mm -hmm. and like i can't read it in one sitting (laughs) but like uh with your book not your sidekick i read it in one sitting i was Mm -hmm. like wow it's so nice that like like, for one, like, Jess and Abby, like, mm-hmm. they can just fall in love, and there's no tragedy over that. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's so nice how, like, the superhero trope, like, mm-hmm. there's, like, some funny bits about that, like, mm-hmm. how Jess interns at, <laughs> <laughs> interns at like, a supervillain company, and I'm yeah. just like, wow, that's, like, so, like... It's so random, but but it's like, I dig it, okay.
1: like The the low-stakes villainy from the local villains was really funny, too.
2: Yeah, I just wanted it to be, I don't know, I had a lot of fun coming over the, like, I wanted the names of every, like, superhero thing, organization to be very cheesy, so you have, like, the Heroes League of Heroes, and the United Villains Guild, and there's all these cheesy stunts, and you know as you know the book there's a reason why the villains are so like exaggerated but they're almost there specifically to stir up trouble for the heroes mm-hmm. and um, and it's part of this world where the main problem of the you know our, our world you know they've solved for clean energy they've solved for you know high speed transportation and they have you know v- pretty much solved for like poverty and hunger within their own within their own country but mm-hmm. You know, it's part of that infrastructure. Where it's, I wanted to explore that, like, how could a society um, build a? You know, I wanted it to be hopeful, and I like that you were like, "Oh, it was
0: kind of stressful." Wow, this is the most optimistic dystopian <laughs> society I've ever seen in a book. I
1: would say it's probably like post-dystopia, right? Yeah, yeah post-dystopia. Yeah, it is, yeah, it is yeah. very
2: much post-dystopia. Although there are more elements, you know, as mm-hmm. as as Jess and her friends uncover, yeah, kind of this huge you know, conspiracy with the heroes and the villains, and then we learn more about this, you know, specific people within the league and the government and then how that's there's more corruption in there. So it's not a perfect society, but it's not like terrible. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. There's a lot of like fun bits to it. Um you share the same identity as Jess. You're mm-hmm. um bisexual, you're uh Chinese, Vietnamese, American. Mm-hmm. Uh was it like was it easy to like I'm I'm sure there were parts that were easy, but uh-huh. like there were definitely parts that must have been hard uh, writing Jess. Can you share your experience?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's whenever you are very like personal with yourself, it's it it's hard to be vulnerable in a way. Like a lot of like Jess's insecurities are like my own insecurities. Like, you know, I talked about um, living up to my parents' expectations and so she struggles with that and, um, you know, a lot of other things came really naturally. Like <laughs> there was a scene where she's like ordering ben May and then she. she oh, my just,
0: God. That scene. Which, <laughs>
2: so, <laughs> I had so many feelings about that scene. <laughs> thank you. I, I actually didn't think about that much in the scene. I was like the purpose of the scene was like she's hanging out. She sees her crush and runs away uh-huh. because it's, she's awkward. But like, but the whole setup, I was like, what is she doing? What am I doing right now? I was, I was at, at the time I wrote that I was in a bun meh shop and (laughs) I had ordered Thai tea and a duck bit. And like, and then like, and this happens to me often enough where I know to just order in English, but sometimes I'll be like, oh, I'll try it in Vietnamese. And then my, I I have a really bad accent. I already know this, but. Um, and then, you know, I just felt so, I was so annoyed. So it ended up in the book because I was just like, oh, and it was also during NaNoWriMo. So you just want to get in as many words as, as possible yeah. that day. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, I'm just going to write whatever. And this whole scene flowed out of me, like within like five minutes and it was great. And it ended up staying and it's been really interesting just to feel uh, like I didn't think it was a big deal at the time but I had a lot of people reach out to me about like in emails and in person about like this particular experience
1: yeah it's like um, when I was in the east coast people relied on me to order at Chinese restaurants and I was like <laughs> Like I know the words, I know the dish, Mm -hmm. but I don't know the exact like correct way to pronounce it. Like
0: it's a very like second gen, um, yeah, like 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 this feeling of like never feeling like you Mm belong, feeling that you there's like a gap between cultures. Because I definitely feel it. Like my Korean is like not superb, but funnily enough, my accent is okay. (laughs) So it's like. So when I talk to people in Korean, they're like, "Oh, you must be like super fluent," and I'm like, "No, I'm not. Like, <laughs> no, I'm not." And and it's it's just like, "Oh, I don't really fit into the Korean culture, mm-hmm. and you know, like American culture." Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, like I'm an immigrant, so mm-hmm. there's definitely gaps there as well. So it was a scene yeah. that I definitely like related to. Mm-hmm.
1: But there's also the feeling that like I'm proud of my heritage. Yeah, I'm, I'm proud yeah. of my culture. I'm 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 here because I love this food. Yeah, but I'm not, I'm never going to be enough for the people running it because i'm already this other thing as well
2: yeah and it was it was interesting like i went back to china in i don't remember the year but it was a while ago it was like (laughs) 10 years ago or more um and i remember just feeling very it was the way people like random people on the street shop like like, people walking shopping it was very clear they treated me like i was basically american because you know to them i was and Mm -hmm. i was like i don't know if it's because i'm taller or i'm i don't know the way i'm dressed or like but it was even when i was with my family it was there was a v- visible distinction. and i notice it here too and and i i don't know if it's an age thing where, where like adults will like assume because of your age then you must have been born here and you don't know anything I'm not
1: sure i think it's like all of the above
0: yeah. <laughs> it's like a mixture of those things yeah
1: Especially if you come in, like, and it's also, like, the confidence, like, it's a confidence factor, too, right? Yeah. Like, if you just go in and, like, just know what you want, uh-huh. there's they're usually more, I don't know. Yeah, it's tough.
2: It depends. Although yeah. sometimes, like, you know, I'm just using the restaurant model, like, because <laughs> I'm, like, probably I'm the most fluent in food mm-hmm. where I can just be like, like, if I'm familiar with the restaurant, I'm like, oh, I just want this particular dish. I know how to say it. I yeah. know how to say, yeah. like, this, please, thank you. And they're like, oh, cool. And then later, they'll come back and ask me a question. And I, I would just like, yes. And then they'll have to be like, do you want the large or the small? And I was like, oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I Yeah, I agree. Like, I know my go-to dishes. Mm-hmm. And if it's not on the menu, I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs>
0: Um, like one thing I really did like about Not Your Psychic is we don't really see a lot of uh, queer Asian characters, like especially in like the fantasy and sci-fi genre. But like just overall, you mm-hmm. don't really see it, mm-hmm. and I don't know. It's 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 a little sad that there's like so few. Yeah. Um, but I know like your second book, Not Your Villain. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm losing my voice. Um, I know that your second book, Not Your Villain, you have Bells, mm-hmm. who is a black trans. Uh, Boy, and he's the protagonist. How was that different from writing Not Your Sidekick, where you share the same identity as the protagonist? So that,
2: so from the get-go, I knew I wanted to create like a group of friends, and the story would revolve around them, and each person would get their own book. So i we started with Jess because that's that's from that's how we are we are introduced to the world, mm-hmm. and then with Bells, I was really cognizant of you know. In writing his story, his, you know, his race and his identity, you know, they definitely factor into his experience and, you know, his worldview and how um, his perspective. But it's not that that's not the story I'm telling. Like, I'm basically, I'm, I you know, coming from someone who wants to write a character as respectfully as possible, uh, and I hear this all the time in like the book world when people are like, "Can I write this? Can I write that? Am I allowed to like well, you can mm-hmm. write whatever you want, but just be aware that there you once your book is out there that you know it's open for criticism, and there's when people say like, "Oh, should I write this story like like ask yourself um and i <clears throat> I knew going in that like you know i'm not I'm not black, I'm not trans um but I wanted to have. Um, this protagonist because he's part of this overall story and he's an important character in the series so i'm telling his story as you know his main conflict is you know a he's in love with his best friend he Mm -hmm. doesn't know how to tell her and b he's just been framed and everyone thinks he's a villain and so the main conflict of the book is is has to do with the overarching superhero plot and his identity plays a part of it but it's not it's not all of who he is and I'm – I'm like, I could never have written – I'm not out here to write, like, the trans experience, and I can't do that. And I don't want to do that. There's a lot of amazing authors who I, you know, definitely love their books and want to uplift them. But, um, you know, when just, you know, like, writing outside your particular community, just to be aware and respectful. And um, I had a lot of people beta read and read, read for bells before um, – You know, I had trans readers, I had black readers, I had a lot of different people with different aspects of identity who could give me feedback on how to make sure that, you know, I was staying in my lane and just just to make that it was the best story it could be. And I think there's a lot of ways for people, you know, if you're interested in writing a character with a marginalization that you don't have, um, I think the first question you need to ask yourself is, is there someone else already doing that? Or is this the story, you know, is this story of, like, cultural... Or historical significance that someone else is already doing, or like, you know, it's just be aware <laughs> is, is kind of the the um, the takeaway from that. But I I had a lot of fun writing him because he's he's very sarcastic. Yeah, he's, he's funny. very sarcastic. <laughs> he's funny. He's also really cool. Um, <laughs> and he's he's one of my favorite characters to write, and um, I'm glad he exists. I think. Um, I think there should be more books with trans characters in them. I think there are a lot of amazing trans authors who are writing books. And there are a lot of amazing authors who are including more and more, you know, just as 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 people add more books to the world, mm-hmm. <laughs> to the literary landscape, I hope to see, you know, more characters that resemble people that are real.
1: Yeah, sure. And, you know, speaking of people <clears throat> that are adding more books to this world, you know, um, Ever since joining this book club, I've learned about the the community of like Asian American like YA science fiction fantasy <laughs> writers and uh-huh. like Asian book Twitter and uh-huh. how's it how has it been like finding that community and being a part of that, you know?
2: It's been really rewarding. I think like I don't think Not Your Sidekick could have succeeded without this community. And it's it was <clears throat> it was really overwhelming for me actually. Because when the title was announced, it was literally just the book cover and a blurb about like this is what it's about, mm-hmm. and then. Um, so, but I was also very clear because I wasn't. I was part of the cover design process from the get go, and that's. I know that's very unusual for, in publishing, but I'm at an indie house. Our our art director is amazing, um, and we're a small house, so I had a lot of input, and I was like, I want it to be clear that she's Asian on the <laughs> cover, um, and that's very important to me. Um, so. And our cover designer is also Asian American. And she took took all of my input and was like, t- created this beautiful work. And so um, when when the cover was announced, I think it was like April of 2016. And the book was going to be released in September of 2016. I had never seen, like just, just for me personally, had never seen like just a single like tweet, a single like t- Tumblr post of mine take off so fast i like i even like with the tumblr post i wasn't even there for like when interlude announced it because i I, would, I had work mm-hmm. so they announced it like on friday and i was like working friday saturday and then finally on sunday i was like oh I look at stuff stuff just happening <laughs> um and i went and looked at the post and it had like three thousand something notes and i was just like oh my god that like that means like at least like a thousand something people looked at this yeah. and reblogged it. And then I went through the tags and like all these replies were like people screaming about how excited they were because the blurb itself was very clear. Like Jess, you know, Jessica Tran has a crush on a girl named Abby. And so it was very clear <laughs> that not only is she Asian, she's queer. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was so excited that <laughs> everyone was excited. And then I like went through the tags and then I reblogged them with like answers to the questions um and then particularly, just because like I feel like it's not something we see a lot of, so um especially because like within the asian american community um there are people in also in the lgbtq community and like there is there is that intersection, but because we don't really see it a lot it's it was it really it took a really long time for me to like understand my own sexuality and be comfortable with it and and even just to like come out but then um and that's because, not that, like, I thought only white people could be gay, but, like, like of the characters that I saw on TV and books and movies, like, most of the, like, there's a very specific type, like, a person that we'll see. And then it was, you know, like, a young gay kid who's a boy and he's white and there's, mm. you know, he's going through his strolls. But, like, I want to see more queer kids of color. I want to see disabled queer kids. I want to see mentally ill queer kids. I want to see, like... Every possible person who could exist, I want to see them represented, and um, and I think what happened with um, like Asian, I'll just say Asian book Twitter or the Asian book commu- Asian American book community was it was really incredible just to s- see that support before the book even came out. Like people like, oh yes, I'm going to pre order this, like <laughs> like sharing the posts, um, and then I met Cindy Pon. Mm-hmm. Um, Who is amazing, and she like was so wonderful about like chatting and like hey like um, she had an early copy and she so she was excited about it and it was talking about it and then I met Sarah Kuhn because mm-hmm. her book had Heron Complex had just come out and so we both were like really excited because like, now there's a genre like there's <laughs> now there's, there's a f- genre <laughs> and we um, Paul Kruger. Oh yeah, also Paul um, yeah. his novel came out within the same year. So the three of us were like, okay, three makes it a genre. Yeah. Like one's one's an incident, and there's like two. There's okay now. There's there's pat there, there's a coincidence, but now there's three. <laughs> so this is a genre. Like we because we all had like Asian American superheroes. Yeah. yeah. So it's 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 just been really rewarding, and I think the community is amazing, especially how people find each other and uplift each other. There's so many amazing like bloggers and booktubers and podcasts um, <laughs> who are dedicated to like supporting other people. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, one thing that um, I really admired about you is that you've been very open about uh, like mental illness and how it's like important for that to be represented in literature as well. Um, I just—I I guess I don't really have a question. I just want to say thank you. Because, <laughs> oh, thank you. Because like I'm also a writer who, um, you know, struggles with mental illness as well. So it's like, yeah, yeah <laughs> like, it's, it's someone gets it.
2: <laughs> it's hard because it's not something that's like a visible disability when you think about it. But so many people are affected by it, and it's so hard for people to talk about it because there's such an element of shame, and especially within the, like Asian American communities you know, there's the element of, like, saving face. And, like, with mm-hmm. my family, there was a big deal about, like, oh, care, care has problems, but we're never going to talk about it. We're just, like, we're, she, ha- she has problems. <laughs> like, like it. they were ashamed of me, and I was ashamed of me. And, like, my, my brain can't make the same chemicals other people can. That's fine. I use store-bought ones. It's cool. <laughs> but, like, it took me a long time to be okay with that because I felt so long that – I was wrong like I was broken because you know I had this diagnosis I'm I have bipolar disorder and I also have major depression and anxiety. And so it took me a long time to be okay with who I am. Like this is part of me. My mental illness does not define who I am. It, it informs who I am and it's you know um but with my family and you know that that element of shame it took a long time to like even now like they're not like comfortable talking about it like I'll still talk about it but I think it's important especially because there's such like there's so many people who struggle with their not only their identity but like feeling like they're not enough and I I feel like if we don't talk about it it's we're gonna lose people and so and you know I you know having been on that edge I I know that like you know this is what I would have wanted I wanted someone to see me and be like hey you're okay this is normal.
1: And perhaps it's like a part of a bigger conversation that we don't have time for today, but a lot of it is also there's no language for it, right? Mm-hmm. In, in Chinese and Vietnamese, mm-hmm. like, there's no, like, you know, in English we have all these, like, terms for mental illness, mm-hmm. like, that we've been developing through, mm-hmm. you know, advocacy, but in the Asian languages, they're really, like, literally the word for, like, mental illness is disease. It's, mm-hmm. like, nervous disease, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, having more, I guess, media to represent that is part of the solution right
2: yeah and and i think there are a lot of amazing books that are starting to talk more about it um and i'm you know i have future projects in the works um and within the psychic squad too Mm. um you know book four is going to deal with abby's personal like she's major depression and anxiety and she's going through you know a lot and she's also bipolar so But it's not something that you see in the early books because she's very stable, but then something, you know, destabilizing happens. Mm -hmm. And and then we learn more about how she deals with that. And that's, that's kind of part of her story, but it's not like completely who she is.
1: I'm excited to be book four. Yeah, thank you. <laughs>
0: well, book three we'll have to level Four, <laughs> book four, which is Still since, in since we're on the topic of future projects. Yeah. Um, so, like book three, mm-hmm. like when can we expect that? And so, what else are you working on? Not your backup. Um,
2: we haven't announced the date yet, so I'm gonna vaguely say yeah <laughs> spring <laughs> spring early summer of next year. But the, just kind of stay tuned and look for a date announcement because we're still in progress. It's
1: working on it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> on
2: it. No no rush. No <laughs> rush.
1: And um, what's, what's going on um, later for you? Like, where can people find you? Um, are you going to be in any conventions? or
2: um, You can always find me at my website, cb- or hyphen. There's a one. <laughs> It's hyphen. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Um, cblee.com. There's, there's, yes, there's a dash between CB and Lee. But I'm sure if you Google it, it, it'll be one of the results. Um, I'm on Twitter at author underscore CB Lee and Instagram at Mm -hmm. CB Lee underscore CB Lee. Um, And I'm doing, I'm going to be doing a few more events this summer. uh, Particularly coming up next, particularly around the time of this podcast, I will be at San Diego Comic Con. Um, I can't tell you the exact date and times because Comic Con hasn't announced it yet. They're not going (laughs) to announce it until. July. Oh. But um, I can tell you what I'm going to be on. I'm going <laughs> to be on a panel called The Fake Geek Girl Fallacy, oh. where we're discussing kind of like gatekeeping and, and fandom and degree. Oh, geekery. man. Uh, Another topic
1: that we can go uh,
2: into. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm going to be on a panel called Don't Go Alone. Take this. <laughs> uh, so it's it's going to be about like found friendships and like mm. adventures. There's going to be a lot of amazing people on it. I'm also up on a panel... Um, on a panel called "Into the Fan Zone," <laughs> um, but yes, but just stay tuned, and yeah. I'll be announcing all of those, all of those details soon.
1: Awesome! If you're going to be in San Diego for Comic Con, uh, check out all of CB's panels.
2: Thank you, it's be amazing.
1: Well, thank you so much for chatting with us on Books and Bulba. Thank you for writing such amazing books. Thank um, you for
2: having me yeah. and doing this podcast. <laughs> awesome.
1: Um, yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm I just put in my order for the second book so it's coming oh, soon <laughs> well yeah thank you so much
2: thank uh, you yeah.
1: and that was our interview with C.B. Lee um, it was a lot of fun
0: yeah it was a very fun conversation we kind of went <laughs> everywhere so yeah
1: hopefully you enjoyed um, and I'm uh, looking forward to um, her next few books um, I guess there's gonna be four in the series which yeah. is pretty awesome Um, I have my copy of I'm Not Your Villain on the way and I think you've read it already, right?
0: Yeah. (laughs) It's great. It's great.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Before we end, one more reminder that the book club pick for July 2018 is for the time being by ruth ozeki and if you've already finished the book or if you have things to say about our june book club pick and haven't gotten a chance to don't forget you can always sound off on our goodreads forums you can go to uh, goodreads.com and search books and boba and let us know what you think in um in the forum thread um and we have a new website if you haven't checked it out yet books and that goes to a actual website where we'll be bringing you um, not only updates on our podcast, but also
0: uh, new releases yeah. and hopefully other uh, great book recommendations <laughs> because there are so many books by Asian and Asian American authors and we yeah. literally cannot go through all of them. So um, the best we can do is probably uh, recommend yeah. people uh, whatever they're looking for, whether it's like books by um, by queer Asian American authors or, um, or just... Very specific subsets. We'll we'll do our best to bring those to you.
1: Um, so definitely check us out at booksandworldwide. com.
0: Also, tweet us because we yeah. we love hearing from you guys. Yeah, we're we're stuck in a room with just us and microphones. <laughs> it's nice to like have people at least uh, reach out to us online and and you know ask questions and
1: yeah. talk to us this podcast was recorded at the potluck podcast studio located in the visual communications office in little tokyo visual communications of course is the amazing organization supporting the voices of asian american and pacific Islander media artists um, who are behind the los angeles asian pacific film festival the arm of the camera fellowship and c3 the conference for creative content um, you can learn more about vc by visiting the website of vconline.org uh Special thanks also to the Potluck Podcast Collective for letting us be a part of their great network. You can check out the other great Asian American hosted podcasts of the Potluck Collective by going to their website at www.podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, that'll do it for this episode of Books and Boba. Thanks for listening and
0: keep reading.